everybody, and welcome to another episode of Dishes and Dimes, brought to you by Basketball News. My name is Iman, and I am joined by my lovely co-host today, Yasmin. Yasmin, what's up? Uh, not much. Um, I'm glad we're recording after um, ending on a high note with the wins against the Nets, because if it was after the losses to the Hawks and the Hornets, it would have been kind of ugly. <laughs> I didn't know basketball at that time. I, I, yeah. I was foreign to the sport. It was foreign to me. Um, completely 2-0, 2-0 it. since All-Star break. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and we are joined today by a very special guest, Roger Galo. Roger, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. I am as well. I am as well. We, uh, You and I talked uh, a few weeks ago. And I'm, you know, when we ended that conversation, I think you had, um, you asked me what my thoughts were, if I had any questions. And I just sort of sat there for a few seconds being like, I'm processing, you know, because <laughs> it's, it's a lot of information. And I thought, uh, but after that conversation, a few things really stuck with me in the way that I'm watching and the way that I'm thinking about the game of basketball. So I'm so excited to like dig into that a little bit deeper today because, um, there were just some really great insights that I felt like I, I walked away from that call. So I'm excited to share that all with our listeners today. I am, I am as well, by the way. I love it. I, I'm just, I, I eat, live, breathe, sleep this. So I'm excited. Uh, great. I'm glad. <laughs> so before we get into to all of that, I do want to start off with a bit of your background. Um, so can you talk to us a little bit about how you fell in love with the game of basketball and and maybe even how the, the Gale method came to be? Well, that's a great first question. I, I And that's truly what happened to me. I fortunately, um, in, around the fourth grade, was living in Indiana. And we all know that state of basketball hysteria. And uh, when I took a basketball and heaved it up to that hoop and it made that sound swish, was, which was not my first attempt, of course, it was just such a, a, a sense of perfect harmony. It, I, at that moment, I fell in love with that game. I didn't even know it was a game, but I fell in love with that effect. And from that point forward, I, I was, I've been involved in basketball. Uh, so how, how apropos it be in Indiana. Uh, went on to play high school, moved from the area, moved to Western PA, continued ball playing over there in uh, Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh area, uh, was on a very elite high school program, uh, was very well recruited by some coaches that I regret not having played for, Chuck Daly, Jimmy Valvano, Tim Gergrich, uh, some good universities, uh, ended up playing by choice at Division Three level ball, which was which made it a lot easier for me. Uh, and the only reason that I uh, became a real basketball lover and considered by others to be somewhat of a star at it was because of my ability to shoot. So th that ability has been with me from day one. And it was an accidental journey after, after uh, leaving college and not even though I was contacted by Marty Blake and possibly playing for the Seattle Supersonics at the time, decided to get into business right away and uh, forgot all about basketball, more or less. And then suddenly I started watching the game again, only to see and hear comments about shooting. 
and the game had advanced the players, the training, the equipment, my God, light years ahead. But apparently with these articles like the New York times, wall street journal, USA today, commenting about foul shooting, how it had become stagnated for five decades. It blew me away. So I started revisiting my shot and that began this accidental journey, a decades long journey that I finally began to question everything that I had been taught, trained, uh, instructed to do when it came to shooting. And it wasn't uh, you know, a moment of uh, you know, excitement. It was almost like, oh my God, why, why did I do it the way I did it? And I shot a conventional, traditional textbook shooting form, very much like 90% of the players today only to find out that maybe it could have been very different. And that's what the journey exposed to me, how much different it could have been, how much easier, how much faster to master it comparatively, and how much more accurate I could have been, even though I was considered a great shooter. And, and that's one of the things that I found really sort of fascinating about our conversation was your questioning of, of what I believe to be universal truths as we were sort of talking and at things that I'd never questioned, whether it be, you know, being coached as a kid to watching basketball and covering it now as an adult, someone shooting stroke, I just, you know, you gooseneck, you tuck in your elbow, you know, feet set, like these are just universal truths of a perfect shot. And so the questioning of that because of the lack of innovation on something like a free throw shot, I think was, is, is pretty fascinating. Now, um, this is kind of off script a little bit and maybe jumping ahead, but who do you think in the NBA today has the, the nicest shot or um, maybe the shot that you, you think follows the, the Galo method the best? Well, boy, that really puts, that is a hard question. That's <laughs> the toughest questions I've ever been asked. And this is the reason why. Um, no one. Unfor <laughs> unfortunately, no one. However, with that being said, uh, Steph Curry has probably, within his shooting system, uh, I'll venture to say as much as 10 to 12% of what it is I've discovered. He may not even be aware of it. I mean, the science behind what it is that makes him so good. Clay Thompson has another percent of it. Um, James Harden, whom we just got here in Philadelphia, has a small percentage of it working to his favor. Uh, Kevin Durant. So there's no one player, and, and, and I don't know that this will sound the way I'd like it to come across, if there were one player that had this technique in the NBA, we'd all be looking and watching him very closely today. He, I, I would dare go so far as to say that he would be as much as as little as ten percent, or as much as fifteen percent ahead of the best shooters we are watching from the three point line. Wow. That's a huge, that's a huge percentage. Yeah, that's massive. That's massive. And and what I appreciate about your method is, is the fact that you went outside sort of the conventional wisdom of NBA, not NBA, but basketball coaches and basketball minds and, and went to professors of kinesiology and, you know, physics and, and outside of just 
what we know as, as a universal truth or conventional wisdom within basketball, but, but outside of that, to, to come to your method. Am I, am I correct in, in understanding that? You are spot on. And I am impressed by your level of retention. That is, you're right. <laughs> I, I was in the beginning, I started asking basketball people, of course, by the way, that's who I'm most familiar with. Those are the ones I looked to for these answers when I was beginning to learn how to shoot and play ball. And they all gave me the same kinds of responses, which were not supported by anything other than, well, you've got to do that if you want to be a good shooter. Or, you know, so-and-so does it, so you've got to do it. Um, To find out that the two most universal ways to release the basketball off of my hand, one of which I obviously used all these years later, was it the easiest way to do it? Was I don't want to over-exact, but it was like, oh, it was mind-boggling. Wait, what? I've spent all this time, all these, I mean, literally millions of repetitions honing my skill. I'm only six feet. I was not going to be called upon or, or excite, excite too many people by my physical stature as a basketball player. I wasn't going to be recruited as a rebounder a rim protector. <laughs> I was only going to be recruited because I could shoot and score. And and the good news is more than I ever realized is there's no prerequisite for shot making. Elite shot making. There is no prerequisite. I don't have to have a certain wingspan. I don't have to have a certain height, a certain weight, a certain level of verticality. Wow. Oh, and by the way, the introduction of the three ball makes it even easier for us shorter height challenged people to play the game and shine. But I had to go outside of the community of basketball to find out what, why the gooseneck. To, to have a, a, a professor of physics explain to me how ridic- how absurd it was. The ball has already left your hand. Why are you doing that? Why are you creating that motion? And by the way, that's the weakest, most unreliable part of your shooting system. And you're putting way too much emphasis on it. Wow. Eye-opening. Thought provocative, to say the least. Elbow under. Elbow under? That's a cardinal. You've got to do that. Got to tuck it in. Right? And the reality is we hear the comment oftentimes by news, uh, by the sports personalities covering on radio or television, how squared to the hoop somebody is while they're shooting a foul shot, for example. Well, the reality is you can't be squared, truly squared to the hoop and have your elbow under. It's anatomically very uncomfortable, almost impossible to do without uh, creating a great deal of motion or movement that would not lend itself to shooting straight. Interesting. Well, that I grew up on that. I became third in the country and an NBA prospect. Doing it the wrong way. Now, I, 
I'm, I'm jumping ahead from, from the outline that we have, scrapping it entirely. Uh, one of the things of, of today's NBA, incredibly innovative, right? The Raptors, you know, a team that we cover closely here, um, one of the most innovative teams. And, and we're seeing it now with, you know, five out. We're seeing it now with the, you know, the, the range that guys like Stephen Curry and Damian Lillard have. Fred Van Vliet is a Raptor. Um, we're seeing the innovation with defenses, right? You know, with, with the removal of hand checking in the NBA, defenses have had to become a, a lot more innovative. Why do you think shots haven't really changed as much as really all other aspects of the game? That is the question that the New York Times article from about uh, God, 10 or so years ago uh, covered in their, in their pretty expansive article about foul shooting. 50 years of practice, no results. And it was about the simplest shot that is not challenged by anybody during that time you're at the line attempting it. And they referred to it as being mind-boggling because so much else had changed, but shooting percentages had not in 50 years. Even the players have gotten closer to the hoop, if you'd like to think of it that way. Why? Because they're they're longer, they're taller, yeah. <laughs> and that didn't help. So, uh, so that, uh, isn't isn't it uh, a big part of it is ego? I mean, I hate to say that because I don't want to mm-hmm. sound judgmental, but a big part of it is ego. That what you've 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 changed the way, and you really think you're capable of doing that? Who are you, by the way? And and do you know how long this shot's been around this way? Why hasn't this happened before? You know, that was that was more the challenges I got, the resistance. And you know what the reality is? In basketball, more than some of the other sports, we are very deeply mired in conventional thought, conventional, yeah. traditional thinking. I mean, deeply mired. Um, I, I mean, I, I literally have been on the basketball practice facility of – a program years ago where they, I asked them to bring players, anybody out, challenge this um, so that they could see within a few minutes whether it was merited, whether it had any validity, whether it could perform as well as I was suggesting it might. And they opted not to. It would be embarrassing to their coaching staff. <laughs> being at that time, being 28th, and 29th in two areas of scoring wasn't as embarrassing as that that situation seemed to have been to them. And that's what that's part of the problem. Um, so it that's that's why it's a it's a, it's a difficult it's been a difficult frustrating journey more along that line than any other aspect of it. I mean, there's some frustration on my end, find, to only to find out that my God, I could have, I could have, for the lack of a, partied more with my friends a lot more as a child, as a, <laughs> a kid growing up. Maybe dated a few more girls rather than go out and work on my skill of shooting. But no, I was that serious about becoming the best shooter I could become. So why didn't? And I've asked myself this over and over. Why didn't some of these basketball shooting coaches, whom I would read anything they wrote, listen to any interview they might do to try to glean something to improve my shot, why didn't anybody else 
go beyond what they were comfortable with. I wish they had. Why me? I, and I've said this before, and I believe this, even as a player. Look, I've got a big ego, but I've got an ego that's under my control more than I am under its control. I've had to, when I had a professor who didn't even play basketball suggest that I was maybe intellectually challenged because I demonstrated to him the way I shot <laughs> traditionally, <laughs> only to find out that that's absurd. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> it didn't make me feel very bright. <laughs> and yet we all do it. <laughs> So um, the uh, the players that you mentioned earlier, you mentioned uh, Kevin Durant and James Harden and um, Steph Curry. Uh, stylistically, they're, they're, they seem so different. But do you want to describe were. like the the tenets, I guess, of your method and what what are the what are the elements that kind of bring those players to mind for you? Well, for for a Steph Curry, it's, it's more of his entire from start to finish, from from push thrust. To release, it's, it's fluid. It's very fluid. It's um, a flowing seamlessness. Well, I didn't have that when I was third in the country and NBA prospect. I had more of a, um, a Clay Thompson type, a J.J. Reddick type shot. Well, would we agree those two are different shots, different right, forms, yeah. different techniques? Uh, we're talking about two pretty pretty good shooters there. Yes, you can be a good shooter, but this the ceiling can be much higher, I've come to discover, um, by virtue of, of identifying those inherent de detracting movements, detrimental movements that are part of that system. Uh, and and that, or, that is something that's a big, hard pill to digest, to swallow. Um, KD has a release because he's so long. It's, it's so much more visibly noticeable. He has a release point that I thought I had with my old traditional shot. Well, my release point is higher than it's ever been by virtue of the, uh, the, the other elements introduced to this Galo shot-making method. Um, the catch-and-shoot that I used to have is so much faster. The, the approach is the alignment system that we bought into, that about 98% of the basketball players have bought into, um, is, is riddled with some inherent challenges. Wait, the alignment system? Yeah. The way we establish connection to the basket from all over the court? Well, if that's truly the case, then shouldn't that be worth X percent of increase if you were to fix that or mitigate it? What if you could eliminate that, those inherent um, detrimental, the, the detrimental part of that alignment system? Yeah, that would increase one's percentage. It might increase, it should increase one's shooting consistency. So those are the kinds of things that are part and parcel of the Galo shot making method. I didn't have any of that working towards my to my advantage as I believed, as I wanted to believe, as I as I was taught to buy into, as so many of us have been.
So it wasn't all, wow, look at me. I've done a wonderful thing here. It was filled with a lot of frustration because it, because I, I wish I had discovered it 35 years ago when, you know, when I was still playing ball. But that's not the case. Until I went outside of the community and started asking those questions, it, it, no, one, no one's really asked them. No one has really asked those questions, despite what you already alluded to, the advancements made all, all around basketball. So um, I, I feel like for organizations, um, just moving ahead a bit, uh, when they when they look at, at a player who perhaps hasn't demonstrated has not demonstrated any shooting ability in college, I feel like the uh, basis for them being able to uh, feel confident they can perhaps turn this player into a shooter is kind of um, banking on their free throw shooting ability, mm-hmm. um, but I feel like the Raptors organization, especially as of late, they haven't even looked to that as an indicator at all. Like they seem to be willing to invest the time and resources to turn players who haven't even shown free throw shooting ability um, into um, perhaps catching shooters and so on. But for you, do you, is there something you even look for to indicate whether a player can become a shooter or is it something that is just a possibility for really anyone? It, it, it seems, it seems from my experience, that uh, it is available to it can be. It can impact almost anyone. However, your astute observation of what you just referred to regarding the connection to the foul line and elsewhere is is very impressive, and I mean that sincerely. Um, one of the discoveries that I made in the journey was that if you're if you're a good foul shooter, then that should directly translate to your field goal. And especially the second easiest shot in the game, the three-pointer. The form, if the form, if the the mechanics are that reliable, and I'm here to tell you that in case the audience hasn't gotten it, that they're not traditionally. But if they were, then those numbers, that spread between the three-point shooters, um, efficiency, shooting percentage, and his or her foul shooting percentage would be much closer. Wait, what did I say? They would be much, well, wouldn't that draw up the three-point shooting percentage? Uh, Now, now your point about the Raptors is, and that's intriguing to me beyond beyond explanation. Well, maybe that's too harsh. I'm baffled by, to some degree, let me retract that. I'm baffled and I'm not. I'm baffled that they aren't, they don't appear to be addressing that or paying much attention to it or devoting much resources to it, possibly. But look what they what they're working with. Look at how it's is they may be, I think they're like 27th or 28th um, in, in field goal shooting percentage. Um Thereabouts. Uh, Sounds about right. Yeah, sounds about right. (laughs) Their their offense is like tenth, but I think it's is just based on their offensive rebounding. But the shooting hasn't been. Yeah, it hasn't been that great. Right. No, and and that's that's I I think a a long term bet. I think you sort of mentioned it earlier in talking about well, you know, height, size, length. (laughs) Like those are things that the Raptors feel like they can't teach. And I think the idea is right. 
you know, shooting can be something that you teach. Whereas I can't teach a guy to be six, nine with a seven foot wingspan. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, interestingly enough, I've, I've learned how to enable a shorter player to exploit that length in the, in the, in the attempted jump shot, which is, I'm, I'm, well worth the price of admission <laughs> in some ways because I I wasn't able to do that as prolific and score as I was with the old shot. Uh, I am today at an advanced age with the new shot, so that's pretty cool. But um, uh, sorry to interrupt, but like someone like Fred Van Vliet, who is yeah. you know quite often the the shortest player on on the court, he his shot. I mean he he's he's a you know one of the great three point shooters in the league today. And, you know, got great range on his shot. And one of it is just, it's so high arching, right? Like it almost touches the heavens before it drops right back down (laughs) um, into the the net. It's it's such a beautiful rainbow and it it goes very high. Um, Is that, I'm I'm assuming that's a part of it. It's just the release needs to be higher than the person ahead of you. Um, Is that kind of... That is, yeah. the the, The arc is still a very, very important element of uh, of um, enabling the shooter to, to, to knock down more shots more regularly. That arc is big. It's also an important role. It plays another role in, in, in someone like Fred's case because him being given away sometimes a half a foot um, to the opponent in front of him. Yeah. Um, it, it By virtue of doing that, his arms are further away from the defender and closer to him. Mm. So he's utilizing, maximizing that whatever space there exists between him and that defender to his advantage. So if, if he were to lower his arc, typically it would mean that his arms would be going further from his body, Yasmin and Iman, and, and closer to the body of the defender. Now it becomes maybe challenged, maybe truly contested, maybe even blocked, maybe not blocked, maybe altered. And that's why Fred is such, would you classify him as a, a confident shooter? Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So, so would I. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and part of that is the, that is the reason. Now, yeah. is he confident? Uh, well, w- would he be even more confident if he was six feet five? Six feet six. He'd be Michael Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) Unstoppable force. Um, Now, something that you said, I I don't want to brush over it and I don't want to go past is you called the second easiest shot in the NBA, the three-point shot. Now, this is something you and I discussed before as well. And I really want to get into it because I thought you said something that uh, I was left thinking about uh, a lot just in terms of the the corner three. Um, but I also want to talk about just, you know, a, a three above the break, um, because I think you consider that the, the second easiest shot, if, if I'm not mistaken, outside of the free throw shot. Um, and so can, can I get you to just sort of elaborate on why you think the three point shot is the easiest? Let's start with maybe the corner three, because you asked me a question. And once again, I'm getting into that sort of conventional wisdom that exists in the NBA that maybe needs to be challenged a bit. Because when you asked me why I thought it was the the second best shot. I was like, well, distance, right? Like the quarter three is better because it's shorter. Um, and and you said something uh, to that, and I would love to have you uh, sort of explain that on this pod as well. 
you are fantastic. I cannot <laughs> remember those those elements, um, and I'm, I'm grateful to you for that. And and I I I, I hope your audience finds this in, informative, if not informative, I, I thought provocative. I, I definitely think that it's both. The what you just answered in regards to why it's the most coveted shot is, is what shooting coaches will tell you. It's what the analytics have them believing. And look, I'm in no position to challenge the analytics uh, in some ways. In some ways, I, I believe that I am capable of challenging them. And that is one area. I believe that, that the distance is, is not the reason why it's the highest shooting percentage shot from the three-point line. And the reason, the rationale behind that is, I, I believe that the variability and variability is what I've become, I hate to say it this way, an expert at identifying and eliminating or reducing uh, variability. Well, that corner three does just that. What do you mean? Well, it redu that player who's parked in that corner can't even move back. He can't move his right leg back. Nope. Why? Out of bounds. He can't move if he's on the right corner. He can't move sideways right a little bit. Why? Out of bounds. He can't step in a half a foot closer or a foot closer. Why? Because he's taking a long two. And exactly. we know that's taboo. Uh, <laughs> didn't mean to make that rhyme, but I like that. Anyway, <laughs> so wait, where in the corner is he? 10 feet from the baseline up towards the midcourt? No, he's tucked away in that corner in a very confined space. Well, he isn't he prepped better than probably anywhere else, more ready to take that shot than anywhere else he's going to launch a perimeter shot? And the short answer is, yeah, yes, yeah. he is probably. <laughs> well, they, in practice, now let's carry it into practice because that's an important element. Where do you think those guys are parked when they're practicing that shot? The same spot. In the same spot, right. See, I didn't, I didn't consider it like if you're practicing free throws, you're standing on the nail. There's no, like you're not moving two feet to the left or two feet to the right. You got to stand right in the middle, right on the nail. You're nailed to that spot. And in shooting a corner three, it's the same thing. And so you're removing a lot of variability, um, which, which I thought was really fascinating. So I'm glad that you, you were able to touch on that here. Yeah. Uh, say, say, and by, by the way, uh, here's, here's a thought I'll, I'll put out there, a question, if I may. Which players should be parked in which corner? We're talking like right-handed players should be parked where they where they're not going to hit the side of the backboard <laughs> as they're shooting, like right dominant players versus left-handed dominant players. Is that brilliant? I mean, that's yeah. Do we think have now? I haven't heard anybody ask me about that. Haven't had anybody in the NBA. Anybody outside the NBA, anybody in college yet asked me that about that. But what if he's right-handed? The other thing that doesn't, well, it's always an interesting discussion when I raise it, is that right eye, left eye dominant effect. Oh, what is that? Some people don't even know about it. We all have a right eye or a left eye dominance. If 
phenomenon. Well, how does that impact a shooter? Right eye, left-handed shooter. Uh-oh. Uh, what about right eye, right-handed shooter? Uh-oh. Uh, what about <laughs> well, what guess one of guess guess what one of the other discoveries at which enabled me to engineer an even better shot than I might have if I chose to ignore that. The Galo shot making system addresses that issue. How? Like, well, I don't want to give away the secret sauce, but yeah, that isn't that. I, I at least attempt to address it. And I believe I've addressed it pretty effectively based on my experiences and my results. I mean, it makes complete sense that someone with, it, it makes complete sense that the hand, whichever hand you shoot with, would affect where you should be on the court and the percentage of your shot that you're making. That makes complete sense to me. And uh, another thing that you, um, that we spoke about that uh, I found really interesting, just in calling the three point shot, the, the second best shot in basketball, you're not just referring to corner threes. You're talking about three point shots in general. Um, and, you know, we know it for maybe a guy like Stephen Curry or a guy like Damian Lillard who can just, you know, bring the ball up at half court and take a heave and it'd be totally fine. Um, but can I get you to sort of talk a little bit about why you think the three point shot? Cause I know you don't just mean in the corners um, is, is the second best shot in basketball. Uh, yes, I'd be happy to. And, and the real reason why I, I came to that conclusion, and I will not mention any player, but the real reason is in, in, in well into my um, adult life uh, during the journey, I had an occasion to play much older, uh, much younger, uh, six foot seven, six foot eight, uh, six foot uh, seven footer at one time, uh, very explosive, gifted, athletically collegiate players one-on-one, they, they could not, the easiest thing for me to do, not having size, height, not having strength, not having mass, you know, a big body, uh, I weigh 175 pounds, um, going up against a 240 pounder in the painted area would be quite challenging uh, and physically demanding, but out there, it was easy. It was simple. All I had to do was create enough space, uh, trip him up, break those ankles, as they like to say, um, just to squeeze off a wide open jumper. Swish. Wait, in a real game now, this isn't one-on-one in a real game. Where is it on the perimeter with spacing being as uh, as um, a a very valued part of today's game. I think we would all agree. Where is the, there's one man standing between you and a made shot, or at least an attempted shot. One, one defender. Where's the the help out there? About 20 feet away to your right, depending on where you are, or 20 feet away to your left, depending on where you are on the court or 20 or so feet in front of you. So what I'm, I'm saying this to, to exaggerate a point. There's no help defense anywhere. Why is Steph Curry and Damian looking for the hoop, the target, <laughs> citing it as soon as they come over midcourt? 
because they've practiced to shoot a very long range, wide open jump shot that they know when they're pulling up to shoot. That defender does not know that. And they're not, they're not the slowest basketball players in the league. So when they decide to stop dribbling, pull up and shoot, it all happens very quickly. And when you see that player in front of them, that ball is usually above their space, way above their space. By the time their outreached attempted closeout is in place. Well, that to me is a foul shot with one element added. Do either of you want to venture a guess as to which element is added to that shot? If mechanically it's the same as the foul shot, and it should be. Um, probably the legs. That, well, you're Just very good. Range, the jump. Yeah. The jump. Yeah. So now uh, with regards to some of the players on the Raptors squad, then right. the, some of these guys are very athletic. Right. I would, yeah. I would, I would, I would not vehemently urge them to, well, I, I guess I can't say it, say that. I was going to say I would vehemently urge them to, to, to work on their shooting, but they will be working with them on their shooting with the only tools that they know, that they're familiar with. And those were the tools that I've abandoned completely because I've become much more knowledgeable and, and much more educated about the way the body kinesiologically or anatomically should move. Not the way we've tried to make it work for purposes of basketball, but the way it should move, and are some of those movements, um, do they lend themselves to more effective, easier, more repeatable, consistent shot making? And, and the short answer to that, based on this journey of mine, is yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exactly why it's so much, it can require so much fewer repetitions, so much f- less time. It's, it doesn't have to take Again, the conventional thought is, oh, my God, uh, it's going to take hundreds of thousands of shots to affect somebody to tweak a shot. It doesn't have to. There's hope. (laughs) There is Mm -hmm. hope. But that's the second least contested shot of the game next to the foul shot where the whistle blows, the game stops, and you can go up there knowing nobody's challenging your shot to shoot that foul shot. That's why I refer to it as the second easiest, least contested shot in the game of basketball. And by the way, aren't we starting to watch a lot of them because they are unchallenged? Yeah. If you're open, I mean, that's still a mantra. Most go, hey, if you're open, if it's if it's within your range, I want you to shoot it. Trey Young, LaMelo, Ball. We're seeing more and more guys do this. Now, this is a question that's completely off the board. I just wonder what your sort of take on this is. Um, I'm just focusing in on on dominant hands. There's been much made about like guys like Tristan Thompson, who I believe is left-handed dominant, but shoots with his right hand. Um, what do you, and, and people wonder if that's maybe why his shot isn't uh, as fluid, and there are a lot of guys that maybe left-handed guys that maybe shoot with their right hand because that's the way that they were sort of coached and the vast majority of the league are right-handed players. Um, do you think that there's anything to that? 
Absolutely. Like, okay. Yeah, there is. And, and um, it's it should be uh, very seriously determined um, by somebody. And mm-hmm. well, what do you mean? And what I mean is something as simple oh, think- to determine whether or not, I'm sorry. No, I thought we lost you there, but we got you back. No, uh, I'm saying that that is such a serious issue. And think about the ramifications, the benefits that could be achieved if if for the sake of peace of mind alone, that player was told, you should not be shooting with that hand. You should be shooting with this hand. Or, you know what? You've been shooting with the correct hand all this time. Now, let's see what else might be in the way. That and I and there are, I mean, I literally have created tests to do that with younger players where their mother or father came to me, and some of these younger players were seniors in high school. We're not sure if he should be shooting left-handed or right-handed. Well, that's pretty late too. But he still wants to go on to play basketball in college. Well, then you better you better come to that conclusion right away, and I'll do whatever I can to, and that's what I did. I did a series of tests that that convinced him and me that he should be shooting with the other hand than the one he was. I mean, that's that's how seriously I treat that issue. Now, we've talked a little bit about the Raptors. I'm not sure how familiar you are with them this season. Um, Yasmin mentioned that it's a lot of guys that are not not great shooters. Uh, I just looked it up 26th in field goal percentage. So not much higher than what we expected here. Um, and the only teams that they're above are teams that, you know, like the magic and the Pistons that have really, yeah. uh, you know, they're not trying to win games right now. Whereas the Raptors uh, very much are. So um, from what you've seen of the Raptors, what is sort of your takeaway on, you know, like who, who are the guys that maybe you See, make taking that next step in terms of their shooting, or, or what? What can you give us sort of any insights on what you've seen from the Raptors this year, especially in terms of shooting, considering they they are one of the poor shooting teams in the league? Yeah, I, I'll try. I, there are some that come to mind that, and, and uh, some are the, the key. Some of the key uh, players, um, Pascal, uh, Scotty, uh, they're 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 in that low thirties. Uh, I think uh, maybe one of them just eclipsed to 30. I think Scotty Barnes is 31, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, yes. Well, I, if, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, he's not a six-footer. He's six feet, what, 10, six, nine, six? six yeah, six, nine, six, ten. Now, goes goes every day. That's what happens when you're 20. <laughs> you might be 6'11 by the time this podcast is over. <laughs> so now here's a guy that has an advantage over many, his height, his yeah. length. Uh, as a shooter, uh, well, do, do you think he feels a little less contested, even if it's another big man guarding him? There, and, and that might come a, across as a little bit convoluted, but by virtue of the journey, I've come to learn that those components of a longer length body take more time to move. So, Scotty is predisposed to becoming a much better shooter than he is with the right kind of instruction a lot more quickly than somebody who might be a, you know, eight inches shorter, seven inches short because of that, that 
clarity, that clarity of view. I can see the target. Uh, not everybody, we talk about mismatches. Uh, how far out could Scotty go and shoot with his strength, his length, his physique? Uh, how far out would the defender go before he says, oh, I'm not far enough, I'll stop here. And then he just pulls up and takes a nice, easy, uncontested, effortless three-point shot. But he's taking it at 40% clip instead of the 30. Well, now you got you got to change your defense. You mentioned the word defense earlier in the podcast. Well, you got to change your defense, don't you? How do you how do you cope with that out there? Uh, yeah. what, 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 can, is he capable of putting the ball on the court too and going around somebody too? Still, yeah, probably. Uh, now, is it going to be easier for him to do that if they keep coming out? Yeah, probably. So there's a lot of benefit, ancillary benefits to to being able to rise above those levels. That some and and Pascal is another one that falls into that category. Not too far removed, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, six, from nine, that same, seven foot wingspan, same, same deal. This is like uh, twins, a, a set of twins. Yeah. They're both shooting in that low 30s area from the three. Um, they're, they're, I think, below 75. They're below average. from So they're below average uh, from three. They're below, below average from the free. Uh, what if you could, and the, again, it's connected to my, my very strong, uh, yeah, I hate to say, call it a theory anymore because it's proven to be, it's proven out. Um, if I improve your three point shooting by default, your three, your, uh, if I improve your three point shooting by default, your foul shot will improve with right. my methodology. Conversely, if I improve your foul shot, your three-point shot will improve by default. I mean, that's that's how connected they are. And I'm not about to let your lower half of your body, and the body's made up of four quadrants, the right upper, right lower, left upper, left lower. And if any of that is out of sync, hmm, then we might have a performer that we're talking about. It's interesting like, because... Like, uh, both, sorry, go ahead. That's okay. Like, like the two gentlemen we were talking about. Um, even if, and, and, and by the way, you, if you haven't got them on your roster, they're throughout the league. What about that player who's shooting 80, mid 80s from the foul line and he shoots 30% from the three? I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, 30% from the three or shoots 40% from the three and shoots a woeful 66 from the foul line. Well, there's an incongruity there. What that goes against everything I'm just suggesting. That shouldn't be the case. And it's, it's fixable. And it's fixable in I don't want to say breakneck speed in some well, in some cases it could be, but it can it can be fixable and, and usually um, in a fairly short period of time. So the upside, what's exciting about me talking to you about the Raptors, is if ever there's a roster that exists in the NBA that has such a tremendous upside because of what we're talking about, if for no other reason, improved accuracy and consistency. And when I talk about that, I'm talking about in all three categories, not limited to like you kind of alluded to, 
him on about, well, you know, usually they like to work with you on your foul shot because that's the easiest shot to show improvement and, the, you know, everything's stable and under control and blah, blah, blah. I'm saying, what if it was exponential? It, it transferred from one shot to the other shot to the other shot area. Well, then think about the, the, the return on investment if that's truly what this system of shooting, shot making, I've discovered can do. Wow. We're talking about enormous upside. I don't want to overstate it, but I don't want to understate it either because I want people to start thinking a little bit differently about what we've been conditioned to accept. And by the way, that's kind of what we've been conditioned to accept whatever's been working, that it's always going to be the same way and we'll expect the same results, which we'll probably continue to get. And I think a gentleman by the name of Albert Einstein coined that as insanity. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yasmin, I think you had a question there. Oh, yeah. No, he mentioned the um, lower body. And I wanted to just point out that, um, that that's like the biggest critique on Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam's shot. Their legs are quite inconsistent. Yes. Um, on their on their shot, very un, very um, like it just looks very unorthodox. Yes, Jasmine, very good, very good observation, and and I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, that lower body has a lot to do with the shot. Yeah, uh, coming from even from the foul line, that lower body, what it's doing, what it's not so should be doing, as opposed to and 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 what they're handcuffed with, and I, I maybe that's a bad choice of words. Um, Unfortunately, we've got a lot of recycled personalities, uh, personnel in in a league like the NBA. Um, and people move around and they move around. At some point, when you're working with basketball players uh, and you're working with them on their shot and that person, that player has been exposed somewhere else, possibly to another shooting coach who he was watching and witnessing how long, how much effort, how many repetitions they were doing to gain how little incrementally was gained throughout that process, then there's a, there's a, uh, a sense of a jadedness, a, a sense of like, do I really want to invest that much time? And I think that's what a lot of shooting coaches today are up against. I, I for one, I do not like that term at all uh, uh, applied to me, sh a shooting coach. And I, I say that because uh, just about everybody in the, everybody who's a coach in the NBA, they kind of consider themselves a shooting coach. I, I hate that that might sound like an indictment, but even in the collegiate level, many of them that are just coaches consider themselves to be shooting coaches. So that, that title has been watered down significantly. And it's a, it's a disservice to that profession because if, if a shooting coach was really that capable of impacting as I, as I now know that they could be, and, and I'd, be, I'd be happy to train them to do that. I can't get this out there all by myself, but open their eyes enough to where they could show real gain in a lot shorter time. Would they get a lot quicker buy-in, a lot more deep buy-in? deeper buy-in possibly from the roster when they see what you've done with somebody in a short condensed kind of way, if that's not doable, probably, I would argue probably, I could be wrong, 
I mean, that gives us a lot to think about. And I, I think that we've, <laughs> uh, like, I, I'm, thank you again for, for joining us today and, and sharing all this with, with everybody. Like I said, since our conversation, I've had a lot to think about. And I think uh, we've kind of left people on a positive note with the Raptors. I know people have been worried about their shooting, but, you know, in the way that we've discussed this, in the way that we've talked about players being able to really take that next step, and you have a bunch of six nine guys with seven feet wingspan. It's not just Pascal Siakam. It's not just Scotty Barnes. You've got Francis no. Achua. You've got Thaddeus Young. You've got, you know, the Kem Birch. Like, half of the Raptors is made up of guys with this build, and the idea is a lot of them can playmake a little bit. A lot of them can handle the ball a little bit. Um, all of them are really great defenders. And so, hey, once they become good shooters, it's something that you can teach. We've seen it here. We've seen it here with a guy like Kyle Lowry, which I know that you yeah, have a absolutely. fun story on. And we've had Coach David Thorpe on here who had a funny story about Lowry as a college player coming into a gym. <laughs> or sorry, uh, David Thorpe uh, with his with his group of guys that he was training the following year coming into a gym and coming to a bunch of basketballs that had been dented. And <laughs> the story goes, Kyle Lowry had been practicing with them the season before. And because he was such a poor shooter in his younger days, dented every single basketball <laughs> because it only hit the rim, uh, which I think is a great story. And I know you have one that maybe you can leave us off with. And I think it kind of ends on a positive note because in the latter half of Kyle Lowry's NBA career, he's become a great three-point shooter. He's, you know, that's what he does for for the Miami Heat. He provides floor spacing. And, and of course, he's one of the best point guards in the NBA today. Uh, something that he did for us here. So it is something that players can become. It is something that can change, which is great. And I thought maybe you would leave us with a Kyle Lowry story because we love those here at, at Dishes and Dimes. Well, it, uh, Mark Twain is very famous for having said, it's a shame youth is wasted on the young. Yeah. Lowry, Kyle's brother, would see me regularly in Philadelphia at, a, at McGonagall Hall, which is uh, where Temple University uh, uh, is located. And he would come up to me and, and because he had heard about me. And, and, and this, was, this was in the early stages of what I was beginning in, in terms of this journey and the, and the remarkable discoveries I was making. And Kyle would say, you know, Roger, I, I want you to work with my, my brother. You know, and I saw him play in McGonagall Hall in the summer league, and he was literally, literally the the he out rebounded everybody, everybody from either team. He had more rebounds than anybody. He could not shoot at all. <laughs> had the heart of a warrior, as we all know. Had a great handle even then. Was strong. Was uh, attack the rim mentality. Blah 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 blah. He just didn't have a good shot. So finally, after all these attempts and, and me getting the feeling that uh, Lonnie didn't think that Lonnie did think I didn't want to work with him. I, in fact, loved him. I, I thought, oh, my God, if this guy could shoot, he'd be uh, there's a whole new world out there waiting for him called the NBA, of course. <laughs> and an right? NBA championship. Thank right. you, Kyle. <laughs> So he called him over. One time this happens. He and Kyle just Kyle just walked in, in into McGonagall Hall. I go, I, Lonnie, call him over here. I got one question to ask Kyle because as much as you'd like me to work with him, I'd like to work with him even more. But I don't know the answer to the question that would dictate whether or not we could do that. He calls Kyle over. Kyle comes over. He Lonnie introduces me. Um, I go, Kyle, 
would you like to work on your jump shot? Kyle rolled his eyes, looked away from me. <laughs> Didn't Sounds answer like me. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at Lonnie and I said, Lonnie, I can't help him. I just can't. I can't help him. This is one guy I can't work with. I, and that's I why he bruised and beat up all of David Thorpe's basketballs <laughs> the following year. <laughs> you have to be, you have to have that desire and then show the capacity to be able to, 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 to adapt to those changes that somebody's asking you to make. But my God, he's done a remarkable job. I under, I frankly underestimated him. Um, I, I love that he, every year he, he worked on, becoming better every year, every season, off yeah. season. And it, it took yeah. a while to develop the shot, yeah. which, which happens for some guys. Yeah, exactly. So you, 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 uh, my, I am blown away by the uh, attentiveness to that prior discussion we had and your retention and <laughs> great questions. I, I really enjoyed this and I hope Thank you. that's all I can hope is that, you know, it becomes a little more thought provocative that maybe we, we shouldn't just continue to accept what we've always accepted. There might be a better, is it, is it beyond uh, conceivability that there could be a better way to shoot if it's based almost entirely in science? Why not? I think that's a very fair question. And it's interesting that that's not something that has really been challenged in the NBA it kind of just feels like wisdom that's been passed down without anyone ever saying, well, hold on, why do we do it? I know when I was learning, I never thought, well, wh why, why does my wrist have to like, oh, oh, oh. and I think you mentioned that it's the weakest part of your body. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, and, and so it, it was, it was a fascinating conversation. Um, I learned a lot. I'm sure Yasmin learned a lot. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. And and hopefully we, we can have you back soon. Hey, I, I would look forward to it anytime you got you guys are ready. Uh, and by the way, keep doing what you're doing. I love I love the format. I love the ingenuity behind it. I just love that spirit you guys always have. Thank, thank you, you so much. much, Roger. And thank you're you for welcome. you guys. Oh, <laughs> thank you for you guys for listening. We'll catch you guys next week. Um, until next time, peace out. Bye. Bye, everybody.